A little bit of background on the book of Haggai. <clears throat> First of all, something that helps me, and I'll try to help you uh, with this, is our Bible is put together, it's not linear, but it is put together in a very distinct way. And as we approach Haggai and um, Zechariah and Malachi, these three, and Haggai is the first of the post-exilic prophets. What does that mean? What am I, what am I talking about by post-exilic? Go ahead. After the exile. After the exile, okay. We've, we've gone over these dates a few times, okay. When Israel divided into, from one uh, kingdom to a uh, divided kingdom. Northern Kingdom of Israel, Southern Kingdom of Judah. The Northern Kingdom of Israel falls into disobedience and they are taken captive by the Assyrians in what year? Anybody? 722. Nice. Good job, Pastor Drew. <laughs> uh, that's correct. And then Babylon takes the Southern Kingdom of Judah captive in what year? Not you, Courtney. 586. <laughs> 586 B.C. These are dates that you need to remember. Okay. The Bible also says that he, in the prophets, it tells them in uh, the southern kingdom of Judah, you will be in exile for 70 years. They go in exile for, uh, in 586, Babylon has taken them captive. The interesting thing is the Assyrians are conquered by the Babylonians, so both... Um, eventually are, are it's the same ter territory and kingdoms basically that we're talking about and Haggai starts and prophesies the post-exile as they start to return to Jerusalem do y'all remember what one of the historical books kind of talks about the return We've already gone over them. Ezra. Ezra. And Nehemiah. Okay. Okay, the interesting thing about Ezra and Nehemiah, again, the prophet Haggai is mentioned, as, real, as well as Zechariah is mentioned, in the fifth chapter of Ezra. Ezra starts off, and the people, as they return, they have been issued... Uh, an edict they are allowed by King Cyrus of Persia to return and to begin building and not only are they able to return but he gives them resources to begin to rebuild the city walls and the temple Ezra talks about they get the altar built and the foundations for the temple are built and then um, detractors come in opponents of them come in and they write a letter to a guy named King Cyrus is no longer king. Now it's the king Ahasuerus is, comes on the scene. And they write a letter to him. And they essentially stop building the temple. And they, for a period of about a decade and a half, they completely stopped building the temple during the king of Ahasuerus of Persia. The interesting thing about Ahasuerus is the book of Esther is written during the time of this king, Persian king. And during the story of Esther... There's an edict written by the king to have all the Jews killed, every one of them. 
And, a, and a, an edict from a king cannot be reversed. Even if the king changes his mind, he cannot go against his edict. But in God's providence, there's an, the king can issue an order to warn the Jews that this is about to happen to them. The entire world is coming against him. This king, it's said to have ruled over 120 provinces, 127 provinces in the known world. Essentially, he ruled the world at this time. And any Jews that lived in this day would have been killed by edict of the king. But a guy named Mordecai, a Jew, Esther's uh, uncle, finds favor with this king, and he asks... And the king writes an edict and warns the Jews. So they stomp out this rebellion. And then we enter, the next king is King Darius, and that's where we find ourselves. Chapter uh, 5 of Ezra speaks, you read chapter 5 of Ezra, it speaks of this particular period. Now Haggai has an interesting, um, he only prophesies, he has four prophecies, it's a short two chapters, four prophecies, and they span about roughly four months, just a handful of weeks. That's his prophetic ministry that we have spanned only about that amount of time. Also, the, another interesting thing about Haggai is the people actually respond. Usually, the prophets would speak. Isaiah was told, called by God. He says, go to this people and tell them these things. Prophesy to them, but they're not going to hear you. They're not going to listen, and they're not going to do it but go prophesy anyway. Well, Haggai, he goes and they listen. Also, Haggai has the uh, distinction of, we, we really know exactly when he prophesied because at the beginning we'll read, beginning in chapter 1, this is his first prophecy. Beginning in chapter 1, in the second year of Darius the king, in the sixth month, on the first day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai, the prophet, to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Thus says the Lord of hosts. That tells us right there when he prophesied. We can go back and look. There's a historical record that tells us. So we know when these... Some of the prophets we've covered so far, we, we kind of know based on what they prophesied, but they don't give the detail that is given here. Thus says the Lord of hosts, these people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. Then the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet. Is it time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses while this house lies in ruins? Now therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. You have sown much and harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages does so to put them into a bag with holes. Thus says the Lord of hosts, Consider your ways. Go up to the hills and bring wood and build the house that I may take pleasure in it and that I may be glorified, says the Lord. You looked for much and behold, it came to little. And when you brought it home, it blew away. Why, declares the Lord of hosts, because my house that lies in ruins, while each of you busies himself with his own house, therefore the heavens above you have withheld the dew, and the earth has withheld its produce. And I have called for a drought on the land, and on the hills, on the grain, the new wine, the new oil, the oil <clears throat> on what the ground brings forth, on man and beast, and on all their labors. 
So like I said, they have been given, uh, allowed to come back and to begin to rebuild what was destroyed by Babylon when they, come, when they were taken into exile. Babylon completely leveled the temple. And just to kind of keep you up, to, Solomon's temple is what Babylon destroyed. They begin to rebuild the temple, and it is known as, uh, because Zerubbabel is the governor. Again, he's appointed, the governor is appointed by the Persian king to rule. He's not, they're not sovereign anymore. They, once, the king, once they went into exile, Israel never ruled itself again. They were never a sovereign nation. They were always ruled by another kingdom. But Zerubbabel is kind of given governor in charge. That's why we're introduced to him and we're introduced to Joshua the priest. You've got these, these are the leaders of Israel as they return. And this temple that begins to be rebuilt is known as the second temple or Zerubbabel's temple. And as we will read later, there's some distinctions to this. But what is the temple? What happens at the temple? What was, it, what was its purpose? Go ahead, Aiden. Sacrifices. Sacrifices, yeah, absolutely. But it was a place of worship. They also worshiped there. They didn't ju- it wasn't just a slaughterhouse. It was a place that they come to worship. The Ark of the Covenant was there, the Holy of Holies. That was set up. It was set up very intentionally by God in the wilderness at Sinai with the tabernacle. The temple was just a, a fixed structure in Jerusalem in the land that the tabernacle was as they, or the tent of meeting as they moved through the wilderness. But it's intentionally set up and it's a place of worship. And it was, that's where they would go to worship. They did offer sacrifices and ritual cleaning and but they worship the Lord there. Well, they had stopped. And I told you earlier, why did they stop? What happened? What what caused them to stop building the temple? Detractors. Detractors come in. And an edict was issued by another king to stop building. And they stopped. But they didn't stop building. They just focused on their houses. So, if you notice here, these people. Who is he talking to? Who is these people? Israel. They're Jews, right? They're his people. But he he addresses them. Haggai, go tell them these people are doing this. They're neglecting what I have told them to do, and they're focused on their homes. So, in a nutshell, what this first prophecy is is you are being disobedient. I have given you you. Go, all of my promises have come true. I told you, you would be in exile for 70 years. And here you are, you're coming back. Here's the land. You have been given the resources to start building. Start building. And they did. And they hit a little bumps in the road, and they had some detractors, and they stopped. I think it's not a stretch to say, not too much unlike any of the promises, the wilderness generation. They faced some opposition. The land was just like God told them it was going to be. It's a land flowing with milk and honey. All 12 come back and said the same before. But only two said, yep, it's exactly like they said. And there's a lot of people and they're big and they're many and they're mighty. But God has promised this land to us. We can because He will go with us. So it's the same thing. They, they hit a little opposition and they stop and they focus inwardly on themselves and they start building. And that's what He says. You have plenty... Yet you're not fulfilled. 
You have plenty to eat. You have all of these things that you're not finding any fulfillment in. Because if, if they're not able to worship, because they're not building the house of the Lord, we can all say we're Christians and not meet together. When we meet on Sunday once a week, that's an important time for us to sustain us. I don't know about you, if I, if, if, if I ever miss a Sunday, I feel it. I feel it. It's substance, substance to our souls to meet together with God's people to worship the triune God. So they had neglected this. The second part of this is um, the response. The response to this prophecy. And this is what I was telling you. Beginning in chapter, or, uh, verse 12, it says, Then Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and Joshua, the son of Jehoshadak, the high priest, with all the remnant of the people, obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the words of Haggai the prophet, as the Lord their God had sent him. And the people feared the Lord. Then Haggai the messenger of the Lord spoke to the people with the Lord's message. I am with you, declares the Lord. And the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and the spirit of all the remnant of the people. And they came and worked on the house of the Lord of hosts, their God. On the 24th day of the month, in the sixth month, in the second year of Darius the king. So they respond favorably. They listen to Haggai the prophet. They listen, and by extension, they, list, they have listened to the Lord. And they began to rebuild. But it, did you notice it said that the... The, that, that the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel and Joshua and the remnant. This is the Old Testament's way of talking about His true people. He always preserved a remnant from, from, from the fall until this point. God maintains His true people. That He has uh, given them new life, new birth. What we would call new birth in the New Testament. This remnant is maintained throughout the whole um, Old Covenant or Old Testament. So they begin to rebuild. And if you also notice, another kind of key thing to look for when you read the Bible is if, 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 if a particular author or, or a book repeats a phrase, and Lord of Hosts is repeated about 13 times in this short two-chapter book. Lord of hosts means hosts is armies, the heavenly armies. This is who the Lord of hosts, this is who it's talking about. God is the God of the armies of heaven. So there's, a, there's several stories, but there's a story where the prophet Elijah and his uh, servant overlook this great army. And the servant to Elisha looks out and says, we're in trouble. And Elisha essentially asks the Lord to open his servant's eyes and he sees this great heavenly army arrayed. The idea is the Lord fights our battles. He sovereignly moves everything that happens. There's not a rogue molecule in this universe. He orchestrates each and everything. Every, nothing falls outside of his control. So... Again, in his providence, he moves the spirit, they listen to the prophet, and they begin to rebuild. The second prophecy, beginning in chapter 2, 
In the seventh month, on the 21st day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet, Speak now, O Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and go to Josh and to Joshua, the son of Jehoshadak, the high priest, and to all the remnant of the people, and say, Who is left among you who saw this house in its former glory? How do you see it now? Is it not as nothing in your eyes? Yet, yet now be strong, O Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, O Joshua, son of Jehoshadak, the high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord. Work, for I am with you, declares the Lord of hosts. According to the covenant that I made with you when you came out of Egypt, my spirit remains in your midst. Fear not, for thus says the Lord of hosts, Yet once more, in a little while, I will shake the heavens and the earth, and the sea and the dry land, and I will shake all nations, so that treasures of all nation, the treasures of all nations shall come in, and I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine and the gold is mine, declares the Lord of hosts. The latter glory of this house shall be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. And in this place, I will give peace, declares the Lord of hosts. Okay, he said a lot in his second prophecy. Um, he asked, how many of you remember, and there were some of the older Israelites that remembered Solomon's temple and its former glory. And there was sadness amongst this people because this temple that they were rebuilding was a shell of the, the first. It, it was not nearly as large, wasn't as glorious, it just, it was not. And there was, it was, it was a, what was a source of pride for them? The first temple. This was, they remembered the former temple and its former glory and this one was a shadow of it. But he tells them, there will, become, there will come a temple that is greater than even this, than the former. Again, the Lord of hosts is continually repeated here. And the contrast brought out of Egypt. We are hundreds of years since they come out of Egypt. Hundreds of years. But he's contrasting bringing them out of Egypt. Y'all remember when they come out of Egypt, right? What book is that? Exodus. 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 They enter as one family. Jacob's family enters. And 400 years later, they leave a couple million strong. And not only do they leave, but they leave with the treasures of Egypt. They leave with the treasures of Egypt. So the Lord is telling them, my spirit remains with you just like them back in Egypt. Do you remember? Well, of course they don't remember. They have to have, have, have the stories. They've got the scriptures. They've got what was written by Moses. They have this. They know these things, or at least they should know these things. So these stories, like for us, many, many thousands of years from Egypt, we know the stories. They're still being passed down to us today. So he knows. Remember back then, I brought you out of Egypt. Again, the strongest kingdom, the largest kingdom in the world at that time. And not only does he bring them out, he gives them their treasures. And then he destroys their army. And he, it, all of these miracles. 
Yet they were disobedient. This people was disobedient. So, the Lord of hosts will fight for them. They don't have to do this. And he, but He encourages them, be strong, Zerubbabel. Be strong, Joshua. Be strong to the people. Take courage. I am with you. And that's why the Lord of hosts is mentioned. I'm fighting this for you. Be obedient. Do what I say. I will fight for you. This also, this shaking is mentioned again in the New Testament. And he will mention this again. This shaking he's talking about, he shakes the nations. And that's what he did back in Egypt. He shook Egypt. And brought them down. And this weak people that were, they were slaves before they come out. Not only does he deliver them, he destroys the Egyptian army, delivers them, and they take the treasures. And not only do they take it, they didn't have to steal it. Egypt give it to them. He give it to them. And why did he call them out? What was Moses kept going to him? It all circles around worship. He didn't just say, "Let my people go, so they can go be their own nation." He said, "Moses, go to Pharaoh and tell them, let my people go, so that they may go and worship me. Worship me." And Pharaoh said, "No." So it all revolves around worship. They go, and they finally go to Sinai, and they are able to worship. He's given the law. The third uh, prophecy. Beginning in verse 10, on the 24th day in the ninth month, in the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet. Thus says the Lord of hosts, ask the priests about the law. If someone carries holy meat in the fold of his garment and touches with his fold bread or stew or wine or oil or any kind of food, it does, food, does it become holy? He uses the rhetorical throughout this. That's rhetorical. Does it become holy? The priest answered and said, no. Then Haggai and said, if someone who is unclean by contact with the dead body touches any of these, does it become unclean? The priest answered and said, yes, said it does become unclean. Then Haggai answered and said, so is it with this people and with this nation before me, declares the Lord. And so with every work of their hands and what they offer there is unclean. Now then consider from this day onward, before stone was placed upon stone in the temple of the Lord, how did you fare? When one came to a heap of 20 measures, there were but 10. When one came to the wine vat to draw 50 measures, there were but 20. I struck you in all the products of your, hand, of your toil with blight and with mildew and with hail. Yet you did not turn to me, declares the Lord. Consider from this day onward, from the 24th day of the ninth month, since, <clears throat> since the day that the foundation of the Lord's temple was laid, consider, is the seed yet in the barn? Indeed. The vine, the fig tree, the pomegranate, and the olive tree have yielded nothing. But from this day on, I will bless you. In the Old Covenant, when they were given the law, they were given very specific. He's using the dead here. But you could become ritually unclean. And there was a process that you must go through to become clean again. 
And often it was, it was a washing, but it also involved, depending on what it was, to be set outside the camp for a period of seven days. And then you become clean and you can return. And if you were declared clean, and they, again, this is the prophet he's talking to, or uh, the priest he's talking to. The priests were the ones that performed the rituals, but they had to go through ritual cleansing to cleanse themselves as well. And then they would perform the ritual clean, uh, cleansing and declare that they were clean. But if someone unclean touched even the priest, the priest become unclean. What is being communicated here is in the Old Covenant, uncleanness spread outward. Holiness did not. Cleanliness did not. Cleanness, it's essentially holiness. Holiness does not spread outward. You are made clean or holy, but you can become ritually unclean and have to go through the process. A lot of the miracles that Jesus did when He comes on the scene, He demonstrates very clearly, and it would have been resonated with them uh, as Jews that had these rituals, they still performed them. Holiness spread outward. Jesus touched a dead body and it lived. He touched a sick body. A woman with blood, she's ritually unclean and it said for a long, she had been unclean for a long time. She just touches Him. She didn't make Him unclean. He made her clean. Holiness spreads out for those of us in Christ, in the New Covenant, we spread outward. Holiness spreads outward. I'm not holy, but I am holy. God just, when, 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 when you are in Christ, you are declared righteous. Not of your own, but of Christ's righteousness. We are imputed His righteousness. Sanctification is the process of being made holy. Okay? And as we, the church, take this gospel message, the message of Christ, holiness spreads outward. So it, here's a reversal of what's happening. He said, there's going to come a day from this day onward. This thing's going to start happening. It's not going to always be this way. Where uncleanness spreads outward, holiness doesn't. Holiness will begin to spread outward. And then finally... On the very same day, beginning in chapter 20, the final, fourth and final prophecy, he says, The word of the Lord came a second time to Haggai on the 24th day of the month. Speak to Zerubbabel, governor of Judah, saying, I'm about to shake the heavens and the earth and to overthrow the throne of kingdoms. I'm about to destroy the strength of the kingdoms of the nations and overthrow the chariots and their riders. And the horses and their riders shall go down, every one my sword, of his, of his brother. On that day, declares the Lord of hosts, I will take you, O Zerubbabel, my servant, the son of Shealtiel, declares the Lord, and make you like a signet ring, for I have chosen you, declares the Lord of hosts. Okay, quickly, here's that, he, that it's repeated again. He's, beginning, he's going to begin shaking. But Zerubbabel, <clears throat> he says, Zerubbabel, my servant, he's going to make Zerubbabel a signet ring. 
Zerubbabel is in the line of David. In 1 Chronicles chapter 3, Zerubbabel is in the line of David. David is the promised king that, was, that God told on the throne there will never cease to be uh, someone from your lineage to sit on the throne that will rule forever. Zerubbabel is in this line and he is told that he will make him like a signet ring. Anybody know what a signet ring is? I think we've talked about this a couple of times through this. A signet ring was worn by a king or ruler that when they would issue an edict or whatever, they would seal the scroll with wax in the signet ring was the impression that it was for that king and that king only. And whether it was the king that did it or a hand of the king, a servant of the king that used it, it was just as authoritative as if the king did it. It didn't matter who. If it carried the seal of the king, it was from the king himself. So this, he's going to make Zerubbabel like a signet ring. He's going to give Zerubbabel the authority to act on behalf of the king. Well, in the line of David, who else comes? Kind of a significant person that comes to the line of David. Jesus. Jesus. <laughs> yeah. Good. So, Jesus is going to come on the scene. He is this that is given authority. What He does when Christ come in Christ's life, death, burial, and resurrection, when Christ got up from the grave, that changes everything for everybody. He defeats death. Death couldn't hold Him. And then He's ascended and, and seated at the right hand of the Father. What He's saying here is because of what Christ has accomplished, He is no longer in the grave but He is risen and He is seated at the right hand of the Father. And He told us, before He, he told the disciples, before He went into, ascended into heaven, He said, all authority in heaven on earth has been given to Me. Go. Baptize the nations, teaching them all that I have commanded you. This shaking that is mentioned here, the author of Hebrews uses this as well when he talks about again. We've talked about a lot of this is revolved around the temple and them not being able to worship because they had stopped building the temple. So in chapter 12 of Hebrews is basically a New Testament exposition. If you want to turn there, it's, it's chapter 12, verse 18 is where we start. Is an exposition of what Haggai is talking about. And a good rule of thumb to understand what is being said in the Old Testament when the New Testament references, references it, wow, refers to it, there we go. When it speaks of it and it talks about these things, that gives us our interpretation. How are we to take this forward? What does this mean? What is he telling us? So the author of Hebrews, starting in 18, we're talking about worship here. For you have not come to what may be touched, a blazing fire and, and darkness and gloom and a tempest, 
And the sound of a trumpet and a voice whose words made the hearts, the hearers beg that no further message be spoken to them. He's, he's talking about Sinai. That's not what they're coming to. This is, not, this is not them trembling at the base of Mount Sinai. This is something different. For they could not endure the order that was given. If even a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned. Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear. But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels in festal gathering. And to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. See that you do not refuse him who is speaking. For if they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, much less will we escape if we reject him who warns from heaven. At that time his voice shook the earth, but now he has promised, yet once more, I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. This phrase, yet once more, indicates the removal of things that are shaken. That is, things that have been made in order that the things that cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And this, thus, let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe. For our God is a consuming fire. <clears throat> Christ is this new temple spoken of here in the prophet Haggai. And for those of us that are in Christ, the Apostle Peter tells us that we are the temple of the living God. Spirit dwells in us, and we go forth. And this shaking of the other of the kingdoms. Remember, the temple had a place for the nations. Israel, from the beginning, from the time they come out of it, Egypt, was to be a light to the nations. They were strategically put in Jerusalem on a hill. They were supposed to be a light to the nations, but they failed to do this. Instead, they chased the nations and they wanted to be like the other nations. They failed in their mandate. But what Jesus accomplished, He is that light to the nations. We, by extension, as His redeemed, are a light to the nations. This shaking is the tearing down of nations. There's a great video out and I meant to it up it's a short and it shows the spread of Christianity over the last 2,000 years and the different kingdoms that rise and fall in the spread of Christianity it's a compelling interesting little video no words it just shows dates and as the clock ticks it different kingdoms rise and fall and spread but Christianity continues to spread outward this is that shaking he's talking about but it's not just kingdoms he's shaking our sin has to be shaken out of us I, as a blood-bought believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, have been justified. But I still have indwelling sin in me. And it must be shaken out. And it's usually, very often, an unpleasant thing. But it is a very good and necessary thing. The very same way the Lord God Christ, seated on the throne, is shaking the nations. And He shakes the sin out by destruction to condemnation. Or more often, to salvation. And He destroys sin. One way or the other, sin will be destroyed. 
the most repeated Jeff Durbin, a pastor I like to listen to from time to time, he calls this Bible verse God's favorite Bible verse. It must be because the New Testament repeats it more than any other. And it's Psalm 110. They said, the Lord said to my Lord, must sit, that he, that he must rule and reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. And the last enemy to be destroyed is death. The Bible speaks of Christ the Old Testament. It, that's why we're doing this. We're trying to show you the gospel in Christ. Otherwise, these are just these are just kind of compelling stories. They have a purpose, and that purpose was fulfilled in the Lord Jesus Christ. They pointed to Him, and repeatedly in the Old Testament as well as the New, He's not just redeeming sinners, but God is giving His Son the nations as His heritage. This is what he's talking about when he shakes it out. It's individually, we have to have our sin shaken out. That process of sanctification. We, sanctification just, it just means be made holy. Being made holy. There's a reality that we are sanctified at the moment of salvation. But we also have to be sanctified as a process. The same way, the leaven spreads slowly. And that's, that's how God's Christ's kingdom was uh, talked about in the New Testament. It's very intentional. It will spread. It is spreading. We're proof of it. We're, we're hundreds, <coughs> hundreds of miles, 2,000 years removed from that Jewish man named Jesus that was crucified on the cross. And yet here we are talking about him. It's hard to argue that it's not spreading. Our eyes, like the spies, can deceive us because our world is messed up. There's no doubt about it. But I believe what we're in is a shaking. And the church remains. Jesus said, He promised, the gates of hell will not prevail. I will build my church. I will build my kingdom. The gates of hell will not prevail against it. They look like they're winning. It's a madhouse out there. But I believe it's a shaking. And the thing that will remain is His church, His people. We cannot be shaken. Paul says in Romans, who is to bring a charge against God's elect? We're more than conquerors. We have victory in Christ. We have nothing, nothing this world can do to us that should frighten us. Like Paul, to live as Christ, to die is gain. Do me a favor. Do me a favor. But as long as I live, I'm going to preach Christ. And you're not going to threaten me by death because that's... I'm going to be with my Lord. That's, that's the attitude Paul had. That's the attitude we should have. He said, imitate me as I, as I imitate Christ. That's the attitude the church should have. We shouldn't allow our eyes and our ears to frustrate us. And it's hard, guys, I know. If you're paying attention at all, it's hard. Because it's a frustrating, mad world out there. But it will be brought to nothing. And it, and it might hurt us temporally. But eternally it will not. If we cannot be touched eternally. That's the encouragement I'd like to, to give you. Uh, I think that's what the prophet Haggai was being told. Israel had gone through a lot. They've been ruled by another. They've been in exile. They're coming back. And they needed some words of encouragement. And the prophet delivered that, those encouraging words. Let's pray.
Father, I do thank you for these students. I thank you for this opportunity. I thank you for your word. Father, I pray that you would teach us from it, that we would grow from it. But more importantly, that we would take it because we know the power that is in it. We have no power in and of ourselves. Your word is powerful to save. We know that. We believe that. May we take it to the nations and may you be pleased to save. Yes, this is a precedent. Amen.